If you're planning to get someone a present at this time of year, you'll want to make sure that it is fitting, that it is appropriate for them. Uh, So what is a fitting present? Well, it's not one that someone will open and think, why on earth did they get me that? Uh, A fitting present is one that will tie in with someone's likes, their interests, uh, their needs. And it's also fitting if it is suitable uh, to your relationship with them. Uh, Someone's hopefully not going to give the same value of present uh, to their spouse uh, as they would to someone who they hardly know. A good present is a fitting present. It may not be an expensive present, but it will be a fitting one. Well, this psalm tells us that there's something fitting for us as Christians, uh, something that is fitting for us all year round and will be fitting for us even in eternity, and that is praise. The second line of the psalm tells us that praise befits the upright. In other words, praise is fitting for the upright. Praise is fitting for those who are in a right relationship with God. Praise is fitting for those who have had their sins forgiven. Now perhaps at this point uh, you may be thinking, well is praise not fitting for everyone? After all, God made everyone. God gives gifts to everyone, not just to believers. And that is all true. Uh, The psalm isn't saying that praise is unfitting for anyone. Uh, But it is saying, to quote uh, the title of a sermon uh, once preached on verse 1 by Jonathan Edwards, that the righteous have more reason to praise God. The righteous have more reason to praise God. So what are those reasons? Well, we're going to look at some of them tonight. Uh, But before we get into the two points that we're going to look at this evening... There's one blessing that that perhaps isn't spelled out uh, in so many words in this psalm, but it is clear because of the way that Psalm 33 follows on from Psalm 32. And that is the blessing of sins forgiven. That was a blessing celebrated in Psalm 32, which we looked at last week. Uh, And just look at how Psalm 33 follows on. Uh, Look at the last verse of Psalm 32 compared to the first verse of Psalm 33. Psalm 32 ends with a call for the righteous to shout for joy. Uh, Psalm 33 starts with the same call. Psalm 32 ends by talking about the the upright. Psalm 33 begins by talking about the upright. Psalm 32 ends by telling us to be glad in the Lord. And Psalm 33 starts by telling us to shout for joy in the Lord. So the forgiveness of sins may not be front and centre in Psalm 33, though it is implied in various parts of the psalm, but it is the whole background to it. Uh, And it's even there in that very word, righteous. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. We can only be called righteous because our sins are forgiven and we're counted righteous in Christ. And truly the righteous have more reason to praise God. And we want to think about those reasons under two headings this evening. Saying firstly the call to praise him for his creation and his character. So we praise him firstly for his creation and his character. 
What you believe about your origin and your destiny will affect how you live. What do many people around us believe about their origin? Well, they believe it was random chance. Uh, They believe that if you trace their family tree back far enough, eventually you'll come to a monkey. What do people around us believe about their destiny? Many of them believe that they have nothing to look forward to beyond this life. And as for this world, they think that it's doomed and that its destruction will come about either through climate catastrophe or through artificially intelligent robots taking over. But either way, the long-term outlook is grim. Well, those who originally sang this psalm did so in a context where the nations around them had their own myths about how the world came into being and where the world was going. And into this context, either ancient or modern, how refreshing is the truth of God's word. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. The existence of the world is not an accident, as the surrounding nations believed then, uh, just uh, came about as the gods were fighting among themselves, it wasn't planned Uh, People around us today similarly believe the world is not a part of any plan. It's just an accident. But the scriptures tell us that this world exists as a, a deliberate and purposeful act of God. Uh, Which God, someone might say, uh, which God created this world? Well, Christians have long understood verse 6 here of speaking of the Trinity. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Who is the word of the Lord according to John's gospel? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So John identifies the word of God with Jesus Christ. John goes on to say, two verses later, all things were made through him. So Psalm 33 tells us, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made. John 1 tells us that all things were made through the word. Uh, So there you have Jesus. Uh, Then the name Lord can describe the whole trinity. But here the, the word and the Lord are distinguished. So we can take Lord as a reference to the Father. And then breath is the same word as spirit. It's the same word, Genesis 1-2. The spirit or breath of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the host of heaven, the stars of heaven were made by the breath of his mouth or by his spirit. I'm not saying it's the first verse that you would go to 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 prove the Trinity. But in light of the rest of scripture, those different words coming together seems pretty significant. So which God made the world? Well, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's his identity. But what is he like? Obviously, God is powerful if he made the world, but sheer power in itself can be a scary thing. Electricity is powerful, but it's a power that scares us from getting too close It's a power that we seek to harness for our own ends. But at the end of the day, it's just an impersonal force. 
Not so with God. Even if some people do try and treat him like that and just harness him for their own ends. So God is not an impersonal force. Even from the fact that he is Trinity, we can deduce that he is personal, that he is relational. That for God to, to, to desire a relationship with us is not something uh, new, it's not something contrary to his character. Uh, we see from the first verse of this psalm that he's a God we can take joy in. We can rejoice in who God is. Not simply shout for joy to the Lord, but shout for joy in the Lord. So those are things we can glean about the God of this psalm, the the true God, without them even being spelled out. Uh, But there are other aspects of God's character which are spelled out for us here. Verse 4 says, For the word of the Lord is upright. Uh, now, whether we take the word there uh, as a reference to Christ again or simply just to what God speaks, uh, it doesn't really matter. He is upright and so his word is upright. Uh, Spurgeon says, it is a grand word, that word upright. And it is a grand word. But what does it mean? Well, it has a sense of being straight, uh, the opposite of being crooked. God is upright and his people are to be upright too. Do you notice the double, word, double use of the word upright? It's there in verse 1, praise befits the upright. And then again, verse 4, for the word of the Lord is upright. It's used of God's people and it's used of God and his word. So God is upright and his people are to be upright too. In the beginning, we were made to be like God. And in salvation, he restores us to live the lives we were created to live. So God is upright. The next thing to notice about God is that he is faithful. The second half of verse 4. All his work is done in faithfulness. How much unfaithfulness is there on earth? How often do people let us down and do we let others down? But all God's works are done in faithfulness. And then what a a tremendous verse, verse 5 is. He loves righteousness and justice. It's not just that God does righteousness and justice. Though that in itself would be a tremendous thing in a world of injustice. But actually God loves these things. It would be possible for an earthly judge to administer justice, but to have no real love for justice. It would be possible for an earthly judge uh, to judge justly simply because that's what's expected of him, uh, because he's under scrutiny perhaps. Or because, like the unjust judge in this morning's parable, that he's simply worn down by someone being persistent. But God doesn't just do righteousness and justice, he loves them. We tend to assume that our biggest problem as human beings is what we do. But actually an even more fundamental problem is that we have disordered loves. We have disordered loves. In other words, we love the wrong things. 
and, and we don't love the things that we should love. And so part of what it is to become a Christian is to have our loves reordered. Uh, we're told of Jesus in, in Hebrews 1, quoting Psalm 45, that he loves righteousness and hates wickedness. His loves are not disordered. His loves are ordered rightly. And part of being conformed to his image means that we too uh, begin more and more to love righteousness and hate wickedness. Though that process is never complete in this life, our motives can be mixed. But how reassuring it is to know that God doesn't simply do the right thing simply because he knows he should. Rather he does the right thing because that is what he loves to do. And then the second half of verse 5 is equally awesome. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. His, his steadfast love, that is his covenant love, his faithful love, his unfailing love. This is something that a, that a pagan in the surrounding nations could never have said about their gods. Uh, Baal or Marduk or Ishtar. Uh, the earth is full of Baal's unfailing love. It, it just doesn't work. That is not how the people thought of their gods. Uh, the pagan gods were morally indifferent. They were unpredictable. Uh, none of them was in final and total control. Uh, and so their followers lived with a constant sense of anxiety. Just as many people do around us today. Uh, because their gods too, uh, their materialistic gods, uh, their gods of health, uh, family and so on are unpredictable. But how different is the true God? We can say of him that the earth is full of the unfailing love of the Lord. And this God, this upright, faithful, righteous, justice-loving God of unfailing love. Verse 9, he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Boys and girls, do you know that some of us who are older grew up in a world where there was no such thing as Alexa? Uh, there was no Surrey, uh, there, was, uh, there was no Hey Google, you could say, and a, a device would respond and set a timer for you or play a song for you. If we wanted a song, we had to put something in a machine, we had to press play uh, uh, and wait for it to come out the speakers. Uh, if we wanted a different song, we had to, to go up and press another button and change the song but now if we want to play music we we only have to speak to Alexa and the music plays except sometimes it doesn't it's not as good as it promises a lot of the time Alexa doesn't understand us and there are plenty of things that we can't ask Alexa to do we can't say Alexa tidy the living room that would be good wouldn't it it would be great to be able to, to speak and things just happened but we can't we can't, but God can. And that's how the world was made. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. It's amazing. Uh, how should we respond to that? How should everyone respond to that? In verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. 
And if all the inhabitants of the world are to stand in awe of him, how much more should we as his people? And so we praise him firstly for his creation and his character. But then secondly tonight we praise him for his counsel and his care. His counsel and his care. Have you ever been reading a book or watching a film and someone comes in and tells you how the story ends? Well that wouldn't be the sort of thing we appreciate. But if we didn't know how the story of this world ended, we would despair. Back in Psalm 2, we, we read about kings of earth setting themselves and rulers taking counsel together. Uh, what sort of counsel are they taking? Well, the counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. And that was fulfilled on one level when Jesus was schemed against, betrayed and killed. But still, every day, kings of earth and their rulers are taking counsel against God's people. Uh, just read any update from the Christian Institute or similar organisations. Uh, we see what's coming down the line. A, a, a debate even in the last week or so. Should the Bible be banned? What will people try next? Taking counsel against the Lord and his anointed and it would be very, very easy to panic. To think, what hope do we have? The nations take counsel together. But in light of that, verse 10, here is a shot in the arm that we need. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. If we think the world is in a bad state, as it is we can't even imagine what it would be like if God didn't do this if God didn't bring the counsel of the nations to nothing and frustrate the plans of the peoples the nations of this world think of themselves as driving the car in whatever direction they please but every so often it's as if God intervenes in such an obvious way that, that it's as if he's remotely taken control of the car. Just to remind them who is really in control all the time. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. And perhaps we think, well, it's nice to have this reassurance on a global scale, but how does that affect how I live tomorrow? Well, it affects it in two very practical ways. And the first is that it lets us live with a confidence that we wouldn't otherwise have. This might be a good verse to print out and stick on your, your TV or your laptop or wherever you get your news. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. We don't need to panic. And the second very practical way is that it affects who we listen to. It affects who we listen to. Do you remember the opening words of the whole Psalter way back in Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And why is he blessed? Well, we get part of the answer here in Psalm 33. The man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked is blessed. Because the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. Whereas the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. 
Our plans don't always come about. We may have plans for 2024, but will those plans come about? Some of them, maybe they will, some of them probably won't. But the plans of the Lord's heart last to all generations. A famous Bible teacher once advised those teaching children and young people to give them big God theology. Uh, What did he mean by that? What did he mean by big God theology? Well, he meant give them such a sense of the majesty and grandeur of God that everything else will pale by comparison. Uh, And that's what we need, isn't it? That's what we all need. So often the, the people and the governments and the events and schemes of this world can seem so big in our eyes uh, that God seems so small. And so we need a psalm like this to give us big God theology. So we praise God for his counsel and we also praise him for his care. For his care. This psalm talks about the special blessings of God's people. Uh, Now the psalm does talk about all the people on the earth. We've seen verse 8 already. Uh, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Uh, Verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. But what sort of look is that? Well, surely it's the, the sort of look, the sort of seeing, which will result in judgment. If they don't repent... If they won't turn to him, they will be judged. God sees the counsel that men and women take against him, his ways and his people. And nothing will be able to deliver them from him. The king won't be saved by his great army. The warrior won't be delivered by his great strength. And the war horse by its great might won't deliver anyone. The Bible overturns contempt. Uh, conventional wisdom so God sees all people but he looks on believers with a particular care verse 12 blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom he has chosen as his heritage verse 18 behold the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love Why? Uh, Verse 19, uh, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Uh, And doesn't, uh, don't those two things describe so well what God does for us? He delivers us from death and he sustains us in this life, even in times of famine. Whether times of physical famine or spiritual famine. So we have eternal security and present sustaining. Eternal security, uh, deliverance from death and present sustaining, keeping us alive in famine. Do you feel that you're in a bit of a famine at the moment, spiritually speaking? Whether that's how you feel personally in your walk with God or as you look around and see the disinterest all around you, it just feels like a famine well, God doesn't promise that he'll protect us from, every, uh, from experiencing times of famine. But he does promise to keep us alive in the midst of it. He delivers our soul from death and he keeps us alive in famine. He grants eternal security 
and present sustaining. And so can we respond in any other way than the rest of this psalm does? Verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. And then the last verse, let your steadfast love, your unfailing love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. They are fitting words and praise is fitting for the upright. As we praise God for his creation and his character, his counsel and his care. Amen. Well, let us do just that as we turn to the second half of the psalm, as we find it in our psalm books. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 7 to the end. Psalm 33, verse 7 to the end. Praising him in verse 7 for his counsel. The Lord, the nation's counsel foils, frustrates the people's plans. Uh, But what a contrast. The Lord's plans through all ages are his counsel ever stands and so we rejoice in him Uh, the tune uh, we'll sing it to the tune ostend which is number 184 tune 184 uh, psalm 33 7 to the end if you're able we'll stand as we sing praise (laughs) 